Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Well, we're in this series one at a time, and I think there's something about human nature, <clears throat> something about human nature, we all, we all want to have a life of significance. And when I say that, you know, it's not something we want to say out loud. Like, I don't walk up to somebody and say, hey, I want to be significant because that could sound haughty or arrogant or whatever. But the truth is, is that deep down inside, every one of us want our lives to count. Like, we want to, you know, we don't want to be just time wasters or space takers. We want to be difference makers. And especially if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should especially feel this way. Because you have been handed, you've been given by his grace the most valuable, most treasured gift that could ever be given to a human being. Life in Jesus Christ. And I want others to experience that, so I want to be able to make a difference in other people's lives. So how does that happen, though? Like when I, we use language around here oftentimes, so, you know, we're changing the world. And I know it sounds, you know, we, we, originally when we would talk like that, we had to kind of wrap our head around that because, like, we're just in Corville, Iowa. We're just not really that big of a church in Corville. How are we changing the world? You know, that just, it seems like a really big statement. But the truth is, is that as you, and, and the world is your world, right? As you step into the life that Christ has for you, and you start operating the way Christ wants you to operate, you begin to impact the world around you, and there's this ripple effect that takes place when you do that. Your workplace starts to change. Your workplace begins to influence other places, and it just goes all over the world. And so, really, in effect, you are changing the world, but how do we do that? There's this rhythm found in Scripture of how God works in us and how he, he uses us, really. And it starts, it's this language. I, I, I've preached about this before. It's the in and then through. Like God works in us, right? How many of you, how many of you would say God has been working in me? Amen. God works in us. And then as he's working in us, he starts to work through us. And we start making an impact in people's lives around us. That's the, that's the formula with God and, and with people is that he wants to work in you and he wants to transform you. And as he's transforming you, you become a transformative force in your world. He starts to use you and he works through you. Now, to be honest with you, I wish I could skip the in part sometimes. Like, I love the idea of God using me and working through me. <laughs> I don't always like that he's working in me. Because oftentimes that is, Rich, stop sinning. <laughs> Rich, get your act together. Don't be so lazy. But this is how it works. He works in us so that he can, so that he can accomplish his purposes through us. <clears throat> so the work of God the work that God has for you, it starts in you. One of my favorite parts of this job of being a pastor is meeting new people and getting to know their story. I love that part. 
as I hear, especially in this congregation, we have such a, such a wide demographic in this congregation. We have people from all over the world here. Last, last Sunday, a, a Chinese person was baptized. I mean, there's people from all over the world represented here. And then I start to talk and I hear their stories. And I love that about this. But this place, it's one of my favorite things. But it wasn't always that way. I remember when I first started out in ministry, I could be annoyed by people. Like I could. Like I, you know, like, come on people, stop sinning. I was a little church in Leesville, Louisiana. Just get your act together. Don't you know, as a recent Bible college graduate, you know, I thought I had all the knowledge in the world. I just knew everything. My wife thinks I still think I know everything. <laughs> and I'd be like, just, just kind of, just get your act together. And then there, then and I hate I'm, I'm confessing this. this is, I'm not proud of this. What I'm saying, and I hate that I'm confessing it. But, but then there was the people that were just so needy, at least back then. Yeah. You know, they come to church and they just needed you. And you're like, come on, get your act together, right? There's a guy, a guy that in our church there in Leesville, his name was Nestor. He was a retired sergeant in the, from, the, from, the, from the army and a Puerto Rican guy. And um, Nestor, uh, he, he was really energetic and he was preoccupied with end times prophecy. I mean, he just loved talking about he had all these books he would read, and he wanted to discuss end times prophecy all the time, you know. And I'm a new pastor, and so when Nestor would come up, I was like, suspiciously, all the other pastors were gone, you know. I was the only one left. And so Nestor would want to talk to me, you know. And so he'd just engage in this long conversation about, about different p- verses in, in Matthew and verses in Revelation and in verses in Daniel and Ezekiel, and he wanted to see how these all fit together and what did I think. And I'd, you know, I'm just kind of like trying to be polite, but really annoyed, like you're, you're really wasting my time, Nestor. <laughs> and, um, and, and then he would like, I think he would like pick up on the annoyance a little bit and he would like, pastor, can I pray for you? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, fine. Okay. I didn't say this out loud, but in my mind, I'm like, okay, fine. And then he would grab my hands and Nestor, he must have used some kind of lotion or something <laughs> that was like smelly kind of lotion. I, I don't know. It was a you know, for our una receta de Puerto Rico, I think, you know, Puerto Rican recipe. <laughs> but uh, he would, and he'd grab my hands and he'd start squeezing. And he's praying and he's praying and he's praying and he's squeezing. And the whole time he's squeezing, I'm like, Lord, not, nothing spiritual. Like, Lord, just get me out of here. I don't want to be here. I don't like this, God. Why is he so needy, right? Sometimes he... Sometimes I'd see, I'd see a car pull up, you know, this old beat-up car he had. I'd see the car pull up, and, and I'd just like, where's the back door, you know, <laughs> try to find the back door. Now, here's the deal. Back then, I knew that I was called into the ministry. I knew that God wanted to work through me. I knew that. I was very aware that there was a ministry and a calling and some work to be done that God was going to use me to do that. But I have to admit, there was a lot that he still needed to do in me before that could actually be realized and accomplished. I was very aware of that. In fact, it was around that time that the Lord began to convict me. The Holy Spirit just began to convict me about how I would see people like Nestor and others 
And I began to pray way back then, a prayer that I pray to this day, Lord, help me see people the way you see people. Lord, disciple me to see people the way you see people. And I intentionally use the word disciple there because I think oftentimes when we think of discipleship, we think of you know, gaining more knowledge. Like I, I know more scripture now. I know more Bible verses. I know I have better understanding of theology. Or we think of behavior modification. We think, hey, I'm, you know, I'm doing less bad things and more good things with my, with my behaviors now. And that certainly is part of discipleship, but a true test of discipleship, of being a follower of Jesus Christ, of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, is how you love people. That'll be very evident, is how you love people. You see this with the disciples in the Gospels. Often they were irritated and frustrated and annoyed by people. And again and again, Jesus would have to bring them back in and say, no, 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 this is how you love people. In, in Matthew 14, Jesus is teaching to this large crowd. It gets late in the day, and the disciples come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, um, it's late, and they're hungry. Send them away. When we read that, we think, oh, they're just being you know, prudent, thinking, thinking clearly. What they were saying really was, they're hungry, and that's not our problem. It's their problem. Send them away. And so Jesus has to disciple them on how to see people. And what Jesus sees is a crowd, and he has compassion on them. And what does he do? He models that, and he feeds them. <clears throat> In Matthew 19, there's these little children that are brought to Jesus uh, for, you know, for him to pray for them and to bless them. The disciples are annoyed. They're like, this is a busy day. We've got appointments to keep. There's a lot going on. So they tell the, tell the parents or whoever the kids were with, hey, just know there's no time. He's busy. Don't bother the rabbi right now. And they rebuke the children. And then Jesus turns around and rebukes them and invites the kids to come to him. Again and again, we see that the disciples had to be discipled to love people the way Jesus did. And so what we see is again and again is that there were things that needed to happen in them so that God could work through them. And I believe that's true for us today right now. In fact, in this room right now, God is working in you. And what he might be working in you is a very difficult thing you're feeling and experiencing. In fact, you may not like it. You may be like me. I don't really want the end part. I just want the through part. <laughs> But he's doing it for a reason. He's working in you so that he can then work through you. This is the in and then through way of the gospel. Today we're gonna to look at Mark chapter four, but before we get into it, I wanna put a question. I want you to fill in the blank on this question. And here's the question. God more than, or statement, God more than anything else, will you use me to blank? Well, that's the question, I guess. Because you are asking God a question. So I should have put a question mark next time, I think, back here. I do have a master's degree, but it's, it's, it, doesn't, it just appears I don't. <laughs> God, more than anything else, will you use me to what? What is it that God wants to do through you? Maybe as you see this question, what come, a face comes to mind or a name comes to mind. You see somebody that you really want to minister life to. You want to you help see change in their life. 
I, I posed this question on, on Facebook this week, and I got a lot of responses. More than anything else, I want God to use me to blank, and then I, these are some of the responses. I'll, more than anything else, I want God to use me to introduce my family to Jesus. Like, that's how they filled in this blank. Lord, help me introduce my family to Jesus. They really need Jesus. More than anything else, I want God to use me to help cancer victims navigate all the ups and downs of going through treatment, to spread love and kindness, help women overcome life-controlling issues, teach my, children, teach my students how special they are. This is from a teacher. Teach my students how special they are and show them love and kindness. Don't you know that's really needed in this world today? Kids in classrooms need to, need to experience and witness love and kindness. Bring hope to the hopeless. Help others find freedom from trauma and addiction. Encourage people to fight for their marriages. And the list went on and on. How would you finish that statement, that question right there? More, more than anything else, God, will you help me do this? <clears throat> Here's what you need to understand, though. That for this prayer to be realized, God has to do something in you first. Like you cannot give away what you don't have. Sometimes we want these things, but we, don't, we really don't want God to do the inner work that it requires. And so this in and through way helps us love people one at a time. It's not just about how, you know, having great people skills or a great relational IQ or whether you're a two or a seven on the Enneagram scale. It really is all about what God is doing in you. Because as he's working in you, he's creating a person, transforming a person that then that person he's gonna use to work through them to touch people around them. And so in, in this passage in Mark chapter four, Jesus is teaching from a boat <clears throat> to this large crowd and he says this, listen, a farmer went out, to, you've probably heard this story before, a farmer went out to sow, sow his seed. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell among the path. Excuse me. And birds came up, came and ate it up. So that's one, one of the soils is the path. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because there was no root. Verse seven, other seed fell among thorns, or can be translated weeds as well, <clears throat> which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. And finally, still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. I love this parable because it's one of the few parables where Jesus actually unpacks the parable. He often ta taught in parables, he used metaphors, but he didn't always explain it. He just said it, and people were like, okay, I don't understand. What does that mean? But in this case, they ask, and he explains it to them, right? And he's talking about this farmer who throws out seed on this good soil, and this seed multiplies. Like, it just multiplies. Something happened in the ground. The seed went into the ground and then broke out of the ground, and it developed this amazing harvest. Like, the seed is hardwired for harvest, and it fell on this good soil, and this, it resulted in this multiplication thing. And I think that that's really what a lot of us want with our lives, don't we? 
When I say, when I ask the question, when I made the statement at the beginning, all of us want to live lives of significance. What, what I mean by that, and what you probably mean by it as well, is I want my life to count. That means when I invest in something, when I put time and energy into something, that it actually produces something good, that it multiplies itself, right? That's the kind of life that we want. And it's this in and through way that God works in us, right? But here's the problem with planting seeds, is that they're under the ground. They're not seen. Sometimes, sometimes they're under there and nobody even knows about it, right? And you're just waiting for something to happen. You're waiting for it to break through, but it's just nothing's happening, nothing's happening. And it's, you question, is there anything happening, right? You might even feel discouraged, you might even just give up and say, you know what, this is never gonna work and walk away from it all. Because it goes unnoticed, it's always beneath the surface and we lose motivation when you don't see the progress. And so one thing I hope that you will take away from this morning is that you'll understand that the word of God, when it's planted, it's hardwired for harvest. The Bible tells us it will not return void. It's hardwired for harvest. And so when it's planted, you may not see it. You may wonder what's going on, but it's going to produce. It's going to produce a fruit. It's going to bear fruit if you will just stick with it. If you'll just cultivate it. So don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Don't throw up your hands and say, "Forget this. It's not working." In fact, Paul tells us. Uh, he says, "Don't grow weary in doing good. At the right time, we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up." And so Paul says, "Don't give up." Don't give up. The seed is planted. It's in the ground. As a culture, I know that we've been in this long season, and I would say, I would call it a season of weariness. Some of you have probably experienced it more than others, but for the last several years, it's just been a season of weariness. We've been tired. We're just tired. It's like you turn on the news, and it's just like wah, 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 all the time now on the news. That's what it feels like. You're tired of hearing all of that. You're tired, you know, these stories now, these pandemic breakouts here and there. It's like, oh, I'm just another one. You're just, just tired of it. Tired of hearing it. There's a term that's used, long COVID. I, I, I don't know that I've ever had that, but some people have experienced long COVID where you experience, where you get COVID at one point and then maybe 12 months, 18 months later, you're still feeling this, you know, you're just not 100% yet. You're just trying to get there, but you're just not quite there yet. And you feel weary, you feel worn out. And there's a sense in which, I think in a spiritual sense, we're like in a long COVID season as well. Like we've been wearied, we're tired, we're worn out. But I'm telling you, don't give up. Don't give up, don't quit. Keep cultivating the seed. There's something happening in the soil and it will break through. In fact, I just, when I, when I was working on this message, there was some, something in my spirit. It's like, like this message actually belongs in January this coming year because there's something in my spirit that 2023 is going to be a new, a new year for you. That all the seeds have been planted, all the stuff that's been going on, it's been felt like it's invisible. It felt like I don't know what's going on. God, where are you? What is happening? That you're gonna begin to see fruit in 2023. So just hold on. Don't quit. Don't give up. 
Don't be discouraged. God is gonna do something great in this coming year. But first, there's things that he needs to do in you. So just be patient with that work. Like today's the day to let that seed go into the dirt. Listen, that seed is planted. It's not buried. There's a difference between the two. If it's planted, there's life beneath the ground. And it's beginning to break and germinate. Yeah, you don't see a whole lot of evidence right now, but it's, it's working. There's something going on. And some of you know that. You know that very well. God is working inside you right now. And for some of you, it feels like it's, you, you don't feel anything. You don't see anything. Others of you are beginning to see the little seedling come up out of the ground. And it's not much. It doesn't seem like much. It's like it's not exactly what you've been praying for. It seems so small, but just let it keep cultivating it, keep watering it because it's going to grow and it's going to reap a harvest. <clears throat> it's amazing how God often uses some of the bad things that happen to us to, to use those things so that he can then um, leverage them so that we can minister to other people. Like when abuse happens or difficult marriages happen or whatever in our life, in our minds, we just want to forget it. We want to sweep it on the rug, get rid of it. We don't want to talk about that anymore. We want to bury it. But really, what happens is that it becomes a seed that's planted and God begins to do a work in you, a transformative work in you, and that becomes the platform for you to become a minister to those who are going through the same issues that you've gone through. And so the seed has been planted. God is using you. He's using you. He will use you if you're, not, if you're just patient. I think of Joseph, for example. He's an example of that. At 17, Joseph receives a dream. The dream is, you're going to be great. They're going to bow to you. You're going to have great influence. Not instant influence, but you're going to have great influence. <clears throat> and so what happens? 20 years pass. He's, his brothers betray him. He's sold into slavery. He goes to prison, falsely accused and goes to prison. Ends up serving a pagan king. I mean, if you thought of, if, if 20 years of that, if you thought about it, that would be like, God, when is there going to be a harvest? When will that dream ever come true? It seems like the dream is over there, but I'm going that way. It doesn't make sense. But God was working in him. God was working in him, and ultimately God would use him greatly to save an entire nation. So be patient. Some of you have probably given up on a dream. What dream is that? <clears throat> Remember, the seed is planted. There's something happening under the ground. And so Jesus, in this parable, he unpacks it for the disciples. It's unusual. He doesn't usually do that, but in this case, he does. In verse 14, he says, the farmer sows the word. Some people like seed along the path where the word is sown. As they hear it, Satan comes, comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. Like there's a lot of emotions circling this seed being planted. But since they have no root, it only lasts for a short time. 
And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others are like seed sown among thorns. They hear the word, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for, earth, for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And finally, others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, like they receive it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times it was sown. Now, like all parables, you have to ask the question. When you read a parable and you're trying to interpret a parable, you have to ask the question, who am I in this story? Well, clearly, we're not the farmer because that's God, that's Jesus, right? And, uh, and, and we're not seed, like seed is the word of God. Jesus himself says the word of God. So evidently, we must be the soil. And so the question to ask ourselves is, what kind of soil am I? They list four different types of soil. What kind of soil am I, right? And so here's the four he lists. First, there's a soil that's the, the padded, the, the path soil, the, the hard-packed path, the place where people walk, the walking path. And it's hard packed. Jesus in Matthew 13 speaks of those who have closed their ears and who have hardened their hearts. And this is where some of you are right now. Like you don't want to really be here. You're here because, well, you just kind of need to have peace at home, so I better be here. <laughs> but your heart's not here, you're, you're cynical. Spiritually, you've become hard, cold, and indifferent. Maybe you don't like being here, maybe you just don't like me, I don't know. <laughs> you've got plans for after church that don't involve church people. <clears throat> I know. You have to remember that just as much as all of you are looking at me, guess what? I'm looking at you too. <laughs> and I see the dismissive looks like, I see people counting the lights. I see the arms crossed like of disapproval. <clears throat> You're just not open, you don't care. And can I just say something? I mean this. I'm saying this from my heart to you. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm a different person than that pastor was 37 years ago that just said, come on, people, just get your act together. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the spirit in how I say this right now. But if you're, if you're there, if your heart is hard, you're in a really dangerous place spiritually. And the reason why I emphasize that, it's dangerous the reason why it's so dangerous spiritually is because when you have a hard heart, you don't know that you have a hard heart. It's not clear. It's not evident. <clears throat> There's a few symptoms of a heart. I'm just going to list these real quickly. Uh, one symptom of a hard heart is you're just going through the motions. Like you're just doing some things, but it's just muscle memory. You're just, you're, there's a checklist and there's a box on a checklist and you check, yep, check, went to church. That's it. Just kind of going through the motions. Another symptom of a hard heart is spiritual apathy. Like you have no spiritual energy right now. Like somebody comes to you and says, hey, let's, can I pray for you? And like, eh. I really, it's just, just, it's just, it's a task to even pray. 
Like you can watch an entire season of Yellowstone in a week, but you don't want to don't want to spend a whole lot of energy in prayer. <clears throat> Another symptom is, is stubborn resistance, like God has been convicting you of a sin, and you know it. You know exactly what it is. But you keep putting it off, and the longer you put it off, the harder your heart gets. And now that conviction is faint. You don't even, you hardly even feel it anymore. It was strong for a while, but but as you put God off and you put God off, it's just, you don't even feel it. It's like you're just kind of okay. Another symptom is bitter resentment, <clears throat> like you're angry with God. Like you had an expectation for God to do something for you and he did not. At least that's how you see it. Or you're going through stuff, maybe your parents split up or you got let go from a job or your spouse broke your heart. And the way you react to that is by shaking your fist at God. God, it's your fault. You owe me and you didn't come through. And so there's this resentment towards God. Another soil that Jesus talks about, here's rocky places. This is a seed that it's sown and it's sown in, you know, like it's sown in these rocky area and he doesn't say it's rejected. It's like it's received immediately. Like, wow, we got this seed. It's so exciting, you know. But the problem is it just doesn't grow roots. And before long, the sun scorches it and it just dies off. And it's this idea that spiritually, I think many of us have been in this place where we, we were in a church service or we're in some meeting or whatever, and we heard God and God spoke to us, and we just knew that's God. Yes, God, that's what I want. That's what you want for me. But then we walk out the door and we get distracted and we don't think about it anymore. We don't cultivate it. We don't do anything with it. We don't clear out the ground so it can take root. And then later we, look, we remember that moment. It's like, yeah, I don't know. That, that was just, I don't know if that was true. I don't know if that was real. <clears throat> I think it was real. It's just, that, it's just that we didn't take care of it. We didn't cultivate it. So we need to be intentional about spiritual maturity. We need to stop living off of emotion and just start doing the hard work of growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Clear out the rocks. Third soil that Jesus talks about is the thorns. Uh, it could be translated uh, weeds as well. I let first service, I kept saying weed. I was like, wait a minute. That, I guess that's two different things, weed and weeds. So... <laughs> It might have been weed. I don't know. I guess weed is a weed. I don't know. Anyways. <clears throat> the idea is that the seeds are planted, but they're planted among all kinds of weeds, right? There's all this other stuff there. And, uh, and as it wants to grow, it just gets choked out. All right? The weeds just choke it out. Jesus mentions three kinds of weeds. He talks about the worries of life. He talks about the deceitfulness of wealth and the pleasure of life, that these are things that can actually distract us and choke, us, choke the spiritual work that God wants to do inside of us. It can just choke it out of us, right? I think sometimes, here's the problem, is that not only do, do these seeds sometimes get planted, like all of you in this room, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, a seed is getting planted, and there's work that needs to be done. But sometimes what happens is a seed gets planted and it needs to be cultivated, but then we intentionally go home and we plant weeds around it. Like we add stuff to it. 
And then we wonder, God, why is this not growing? What's happening? Well, we need to, it's not just about planting the seeds, it's about pulling some weeds as well. Right? That's what God wants to do in us. <clears throat> and then finally, there's this, this good soil. This in and then through way of the kingdom. God, like God's wanting to do something in you. A seed is being planted right now. That's the way that God wants to work through you. Like there's a seed that gets planted in your heart, in your mind, whatever it might be. It gets planted in your heart right now. And that seed is hardwired for harvest. If we nurture it, if we take care of it, if we take it seriously, you know, you get a word in church and you take it seriously and you go home and you, know, and you care for that thing, it is hardwired for harvest. It will produce a harvest. Now, we may not see it immediately, but it will produce a harvest. And that's what God is doing in some of your hearts right now. And so what does God want to do in you right now to accomplish his work through you? One of the things I love about watching God's work in a person is, is I see it. I mean, like, they may not see it, but I can see, you know, when they first meet Christ or when they give their life to Jesus last week, somebody was baptized, people were baptized here and they confessed Christ for the very first time. They may not see, but I see already how God is beginning to do a work in them and I can already begin to imagine and dream of the things that he's gonna do through them. And what he's doing in them is not just for them. Like it's not just happening for them and that's it, it's done. But like there's a lot of people around them that are gonna get impacted by that as well. I wanna show you a picture here. <clears throat> this is a very blurry picture of my family uh, the summer of 1980. You can't really recognize a whole lot there except maybe the bell-bottom pants that I was wearing, white bell-bottom pants of all things. Uh, I was cool at one point, I think. Um, uh, this is my mom and my four brothers and myself. And um, I I'm showing you this picture because we were sitting outside, we were standing outside the Tucuman Airport in Panama on our way, flying back, flying to the, to the States for the very first time. My uh, three younger brothers had never been there. We had been there just for a couple months to the States. <clears throat> And um, where we stand right there, we were far, far, far away from God. My mom, she had no clue of who Jesus was. I had never met. I'd been to church a handful of times, Catholic church. I was, like, like I explained, I was counting lights and doing other things, looking at pretty girls at church. I wasn't involved in church. <clears throat> we were far from God. And you see a picture here of us smiling, you know, and, but you, you need to know that there was a lot of brokenness and there was a lot of dysfunction. There was a father who was abusive and he was abusive to my mom. He beat her and he was an alcoholic. And it's not really represented in this picture, but just later that year, when we landed in the States, later that year, my mom said, hey, let's go to the Mr. M's convenience store just right down the street from my uncle's house. And so all four, all five of us, six of us, start walking down to the convenience store. And as we're passing, there's a softball field on the right. As we're passing, this little sign that says, Memorial Assembly of God. 
And my mom was desperate. She was hurting. She didn't know what to do. She was unemployed with five boys by herself. <laughs> How in the world is she going to support us? And so in a, I believe the Holy Spirit did this, but in a, in a last, last bit of hope, she says, we're going to go to church there Sunday. And so we walk into this church, and I'm like, I don't want to have anything to do with it, but my mom... Irene Villalta gave her life to Jesus <laughs> and a seed just got planted in her heart and she began to grow and become more like Jesus and here we are 42 years later and the harvest is still happening <clears throat> there's a seed that's been planted in your heart don't despise it. Yes, it's buried. Yes, it seems like it's nothing is happening, but don't despise it because God is working in you right now to produce a harvest through you. <clears throat> what does God want to do in you so that he can work through you? I mean, there is no other choice for a follower of Jesus Christ. You have no choice on this. You are not allowed as a Christian to say, no, he can just work in me. I don't want him to work through me. It just doesn't happen that way. In fact, you can't make that happen. All you can do is say, you can just dig up the seeds. That's all you can do. Because God wants to work through you. And if you want a life of significance, then you need to let God work in you so that he can then work through you. Amen? So I'll stand. And Cedar Rapids, will you stand with me as well? <clears throat> Holy Spirit, we, uh, we know that you're at work right now. Jesus, you're sowing, casting seeds, Lord. And today, even as these seeds are being cast, some are falling on hard soil, some are falling on rocky soil, some are falling on soil that's entangled with weeds, and yet some of it is still falling on good soil. Father, I just ask that you would help us to discern what soil do I have right now? Is it soft and pliable, ready to receive the seed? Am I willing to do the hard work to cultivate it, to water it? So that you don't just do a work in me, but you do a work through me. There are individuals in this room that God... They have come to faith in you, but their family is lost, and you want to use them. You want to use them to reach their family for Jesus Christ. <clears throat> seed has been planted. Father, we just ask that you do that work in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.